You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. Pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to me, flee like a bird to the mountains? See how the wicked string their bows, fit their arrows to the string, to shoot from the shadows at the upright of heart. If foundations are destroyed, What can the just one do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. God's eyes keep careful watch. They test the children of Adam. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, hates those who love violence, and rains upon the wicked, fiery coals and brimstone, a scorching wind their allotted cup. The Lord is just and loves just deeds. The upright will see his face. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Jerome, pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Catholic Fragments Podcast. I'm Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and it is a great joy to feature St. Jerome and some excerpts of his homily on Psalm 11 in this episode. This is the psalm we heard as our opening prayer, and St. Jerome interprets this text powerfully and profoundly. But before we dive into the text itself, let's recall some of the highlights of St. Jerome's life. Born around the year 342 and given the Latin name Eusebius Sophronius Hieronymus, so we say Jerome from that last part of his Latin name, Hieronymus, or Jerome, we say in English, died in 420. He was born in the Roman province of Dalmatia, which would be the territory of modern-day Croatia or Slovenia. He was a contemporary of St. Augustine, living at the turn of the 5th century. And like St. Augustine, St. Jerome underwent a deep conversion to Christ as a young man. St. Jerome was baptized around the age of 24 or so, and then went to live in the desert as a hermit for two years undergoing deeper and deeper conversion to Christ. And later, he would be ordained a Catholic priest in the year 378. Though his whole life long, he would maintain a very monastic lifestyle. That is, he would engage in practices of daily spiritual discipline called asceticism, spiritual exercise, a lot of penitential practices, 
he involved a lot of self-denial because before his conversion, uh, he lived a rather sinful lifestyle. But St. Jerome became a follower of St. Gregory of Nazianzus, one of the great Cappadocian theologians from Greek Christianity. And he also knew St. Gregory of Nyssa, one of the other Cappadocians along with St. Basil of Caesarea. Through such influences, Jerome perfected his mastery of the Greek language and translated some of Origen of Alexandria's homilies and St. Eusebius's Chronicles of Church History. In his person, St. Jerome brought together Christian theological influences, both Latin and Greek, as well as integrating these with the Hebrew roots of Christianity, Judaism, serving as a model of the true Catholicity of the Church. Later in his life, St. Jerome served as secretary to Pope St. Damasus I from 382 to 385. And Pope Damasus asked Jerome to translate scripture, the Bible, into Latin. And Jerome did so from the original languages of scripture, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Then in the summer of 386, St. Jerome settled in Bethlehem. He was actually, uh, in a sense, driven out of Rome based on some heated controversy and how he was calling for more church reform and reform of monastic life and some different things. So because he was this prophetic witness, a lot of people wanted him to leave. So in a sense, he was exiled from Rome, but would settle in the place of the birth of Jesus, the Savior, in Bethlehem. This Hebrew word, Bait Lechem, that means house of bread. So interesting, this Eucharistic connotation in the very name Bethlehem. So he settles in Bethlehem in 386, accompanied by some disciples of affluent holy women including the widow Paula and her daughter Eustochium. St. Jerome composed many commentaries on various books of the Bible, as well as many letters and several homiletic, historical, and theological texts. In terms of writing volume, he is second only to St. Augustine within the world of ancient Latin Christianity. Our excerpts today in this podcast episode come from a written homily of St. Jerome on Psalm 11. Again, we heard this as our opening prayer. Psalm 11, although for St. Jerome it was numbered as Psalm 10, Jerome's numbering in his Latin Vulgate translation of Scripture, Vulgate's uh, from the Latin vulgatus, meaning ordinary, common, or general. His numbering of the Psalms was based on the Greek Septuagint uh, translation of the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, but today, um, most English translations, uh, both Catholic and Protestant, follow the original Hebrew numbering of the Psalms, so I'm calling it Psalm 11, so we don't get confused, although St. Jerome in his commentary refers to it as Psalm 10. 
and many uh, Orthodox Christian um, Bible translations follow St. Jerome's numbering two of that Septuagint Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. But in any case, this is why you see sometimes Psalms numbered different, or it might say Psalm 11 in parentheses, Psalm 10, because of the different numberings we had in the ancient translations of Scripture. So let's look a bit at St. Jerome's text. This is something I just recently pulled off the shelf of the Sacred Heart Major Seminary Library. I love to read across the living tradition of the church. I love to keep reading and reading, uh, in a sense, ac across this cross-section of the tradition from all of the major eras of the theological tradition of the church. So I was really happy as I began to read for the first time this homily, this written homily by St. Jerome on Psalm 11. It really spoke to me in a lot of ways, and I, I hope it speaks to you too in this podcast. So let's look at the first excerpt. St. Jerome writes, Now the spiritual man who judges all things, and he himself adjudged by no man, discerns on the basis of a twofold interpretation, an interpretation of the opening line of this psalm. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to me, flee to the mountain like a sparrow? So St. Jerome takes this one verse and he's going to unpack it richly. So he's saying the spiritual man discerns on the basis of a twofold interpretation of this text that it was our Lord and Savior who uttered this psalm. What St. Jerome is saying here is that God the Son, the eternal word of the Father, speaks through the inspired words of Scripture, inspired King David to write this text, to compose this text, but ultimately it's Jesus speaking, the Lord and Savior speaking through the text because it is him who inspired King David to write it. Either the Lord spoke to the angels who were ministering to him, or he addressed opposing forces, the devils that tried to frighten him with their mockery. If it was to the angels, then the tenor is, why do you urge me to return to heaven to renounce the earthly and the lowly and dwell in my mountains because of the snares of the devil and his whole army that you see aroused against me? Would you have me put on the wings of my Godhead, abandon the ways of man, and live untroubled in the heavenly regions, when it was for this purpose that I came, to overcome my boasting adversaries by relying upon the Lord, that is, upon my divinity? So, it's like Jesus is saying that he came for the purpose of confronting the adversary, Satan and all the demons, all the fallen angels. God the Son is not afraid to take on flesh to fight this battle, or the action is happening in this order of creation, creation that has become fallen because of original sin. And so as Jesus is saying, far be it from me, 
to stay in this untroubled heavenly region when his purpose is to come and to fight and to contest the adversary. St. Jerome goes on to say, if, however, the Lord is directing these words to the opposing powers directly to the demons, then we must understand them thus. In vain do you think to terrify me with your voices and your throng marshaled against me, since for this reason I have come, to give battle and to prevail in battle, as the title of this psalm, according to Aquila and Symmachus, indicates. Another exegete, since there is nothing in this psalm particularly incompatible with the character of a just man, will support the saintly choice of those who refer the psalm to Christ, but would also claim that one may interpret the entire sequel in the name of the prophet, that is, in the name of a just man in general. Okay, end quote from St. Jerome. So this helps to see how, how the early church fathers interpreted the biblical text in many different directions, many different layers of interpretation. And the precedent already is there in Judaism, how the rabbis interpret the inspired word of God, the Hebrew scripture. So Jerome follows suit here, and he's saying, here's how we could read it. We could read it in this rendition A, rendition B, rendition C. And he's considering all of this as a careful, responsible interpretation of the text. So let's look at the second excerpt then, which follows. So he quotes the beginning of Psalm 11 once again. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to me, flee to the mountains like a sparrow? Shrewd adversary. Now he's talking about the devil. He tempted the Lord's Savior in the desert and now wants the faithful, every one of them, to depart from the land of Judah and to dwell in a wilderness barren of virtues that there he might crush them more easily. Even the counsel itself is crafty. It is not an exhortation to assume the wings of a dove, a gentle, simple, and domestic bird, one, they say, entirely lacking in gall, which was offered in the temple in behalf of the Lord. But it says, the wings of a sparrow, a chattering, roving bird, one that is a stranger to its mate after hatching its young. Notwithstanding that Aquila and Symmachus have usually translated bird in the place of sparrow. So what's he saying about the meaning of sparrow here? Flee to the mountains like a sparrow. He's saying like with St. Paul, we cannot forget that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And how we're tempted causes us to think that we should act in a way that seems right. But to quote from the book of Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to death. We have to be very careful when Satan comes to tempt us and the demons come to assault us and influence us, that we not make like a sparrow and fly away to our doom. The mountains, moreover, we may identify 
as those to which scripture refers in another place, draw you near to the everlasting mountains. And in the second of the gradual psalms, I lift up my eyes toward the mountains, whence help shall come to me. They are the mountains, too, in which we must take refuge, after the abomination of desolation shall stand in the holy place. In the second part of the interpretation, St. Jerome is painting the picture of the mountain in a more positive sense. So we have to be careful in following his exegesis, this art of interpretation. In one breath, he's, he's interpreting something, in a sense, negatively in the text. Watch out for this. But then in the next breath, he's interpreting something in a positive aspect. So he weaves together through cross-referencing different scriptures here. Even though he's talking about Psalm 11, he's weaving in something from the book of the prophet Micah and something from Psalm 120, something from the Gospel of St. Matthew. And he weaves all this together to bring home the lesson, to bring home the point. So he begins with a literal interpretation of the text, moves to an allegorical, symbolic interpretation, a kind of what would be called typological interpretation of the text, and then moves to this tropological meaning of how we should act morally, and then an anagogical meaning, what this might mean for our eternal salvation. Then we go on to read with St. Jerome. He quotes the next verse of the psalm. Verse 2, For see the wicked bend the bow, they have prepared the arrow in the quiver to shoot in the dark at the upright of heart. Instead of this, he says, the Hebrew text has, See how the sinful bend the bow, they place the arrow on the string to shoot in the dark at the upright of heart. So St. Jerome has this facility to read from the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, which was in common circulation at the time of Jesus and the centuries after, as well as the original Hebrew version of the biblical text. He goes on to say, that is why the Lord says, you want me to flee to the mountains because sinners or rebels have ready burning arrows that must be repelled with the shield of faith. In their quivers they carry darts to shoot at the just, not in the daytime, not in the glimmering night when the moon comfortingly tempers the darkness, but when the night is deep and the darkness groping. In the Greek here is pseplafeton skotos. Know that I am not heeding your counsel. So this is like Jesus talking. Uh, according to St. Jerome, this is how he imagines this, this dialogue. Jesus saying, Know that I am not heeding your counsel for the very reason that adversaries are prepared for battle. It is not so much their desire to harm me, whom they cannot vanquish, as it is to wound my faithful. And since it was for their safety that I came from heaven, I must not leave them orphans. Oh, so powerful. I just love how St. Jerome brings this text to life in a Christological way, in a very Christocentric way. 
This is how we should read Psalm 11 through the light of Christ. How does it apply to him and his mission? And Jesus saying, his mission has to do with not leaving us orphans. It's such a comforting word. It's the good news itself that God has called us as adopted sons and daughters. Adopted sons and daughters of God the Father through God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus came as a warrior so as not to leave us orphans. A paradoxical, gentle warrior with a choleric tenderness. <laughs> How about that? St. Jerome goes on to say, See, it is just as you say. Again, Jesus speaking here. They have their arrow poised on the string, ready and determined to capture my youth. Sons in their puberty, my young men, with the sweet allurements of pleasures, for the devil's power, all of it is in the loins. Woof. Whoa. There's an insight into the moral life. We have to be very careful about that lust of the flesh, as we read about in 1 John. The devil's power, all of it, St. Jerome says, is in the loins. That is in the sexual faculties. So how do we interpret ourselves as sexual beings? The purpose of our gifted sexuality. St. John of the Cross says something similar, that the spirit of Satan is fornication. So these early church fathers like St. Jerome, St. Augustine, and then later in the 16th century, someone like St. John of the Cross, and so many theologians throughout the history of the church really identify the way that Satan works to distort the goodness of human sexuality, the goodness of the body, the goodness of the flesh, to distort it and to bring about these disordered appetites and affections therein. So when we examine our conscience, we really have to think about this truth, the strategy of Satan. St. Jerome says further, indeed, that is why when Jacob wrestled with me, again, this is the Lord talking, I caused his glafuron to dry up and wither. Okay, so he's referring to Genesis chapter 32 here in the narrative where Jacob wrestles with the divine being through the night and then is, is wounded. And St. Jerome is relating this uh, to what he just said about all of the devil's power being concentrated in the loins. He says further, Because then they are aiming to shoot in the darkness at the upright of heart, let my just man speak up and say. So this is what St. Jerome is putting on the lips of Christ, encouraging we who follow him to say, A lamp to my feet is your word, a light to my path. Quoting Psalm 119. And so Jesus, going on to say, in the imagination of Jerome, 
Moreover, I am standing in the battle line, alert and girt for battle. I am not overlooking the struggle that has begun, especially since you say that they have strung their bows, that they have arrows ready in their quivers, that they are waiting in the darkness to wound my saints, but they have not as yet been able to shoot. They have bent the bow, they have filled the quiver, they are ready to discharge their arrows in the darkness at the true of heart. Since they are so well prepared, I shall place myself between them and intercept their arrows, so that by my pain my servants shall not feel pain, that by my wounds they may be healed, that by my suffering they may not suffer, and may say, O Lord, you surround us with the shield of your good will. I quote Psalm 5. Wow, again, so powerful. Thinking of the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, the suffering servant. So many biblical texts that talk about how Jesus came to suffer, to bear our pain, so that we would not suffer eternal damnation, eternal separation from God. He writes, There is, however, another possible explanation for this passage. Again, all the different possibilities of interpretation here that all are true. Just because they're different doesn't mean they're mutually exclusive to one another. They're harmonious in a deep-layered interpretation of the biblical text. So there's another uh, possible explanation for the passage. Namely, he says that heretics, that is false teachers or demons through the teachings of heretics, have bent the bow of their blasphemy and contrived to beguile my just with every sort of subtlety. They are skilled bowmen who, under cover of their own darkness, which they recognize as the divine mysteries concealed from them, are eager to strike at the unoffending hearts of the just. It is necessary, therefore, for me and my saints to migrate to the lofty pinnacles of holy writ, where, according to the gospel, if someone strike thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. It does not say, turn to him the left, but the other, that is, the other right cheek, because the just man has nothing in him that is left-handed, he says. So, left-handed in this sense, a symbol of deficiency, or moral evil, though being left-handed in itself is not evil, of course, uh, but it's, it's symbolic, um, this difference between the right hand and the left hand, an ancient uh, Hebrew idiom, first of all. St. Jerome says, If he shall confound you, the gospel says in one testament, vanquish him with the other testament, and fulfill the word written in another psalm. Deep calls unto deep in the roar of your cataracts so that the two testaments fortify each other, and in so doing, break the heretic's net by the counter-evidence of another right hand, by transmigration to the mountains, and by deep calling unto deep. So early heresy in the church he's referring to implicitly here is called Marcionism, and this was a false teaching that wanted to claim to be the ultimate Christianity by throwing out the whole... Old Testament, all the Hebrew scriptures, and um, that the church bishops, the Pope, regarded as heresy from the start, but it, it lasted a few hundred years in the early church, and we might even sense the same temptation um, 
today even think of the Jewish Holocaust uh, in the 20th century uh, at the hands of the Nazis, which in itself, not claiming to be a, a Christian movement, but implicitly influenced by a kind of Marcionite Christianity that vilifies and demonizes Judaism, which is untrue to the very roots of Christianity. So St. Jerome here going after various heretical things, especially in this case, Marcionism. The last excerpt I want to share then is what follows. St. Jerome quoting Psalm 11, now verse 3. So he has all this to say on only three short verses of one psalm. He writes, quoting the psalm, For they have destroyed all that you have accomplished. Here they are still speaking as above, either to some just man or to the Lord, and are saying, That is exactly why you must return to heaven, because powerful adversaries are ready to fight, and they are tearing down whatever you build up. Every day they are undermining your commandments and the law written in the heart of the faithful, and by their suasion, persuasion, are subverting irresolute hearts. What can the just man do? This verse, he says, admits of various interpretations. It may pertain certainly to the just man in the following manner. To those who are striving to efface God's laws, the just man has done nothing deserving of destruction and vainly suffers their treachery. Or to those opposing and attempting to destroy the commandments of God, the just man does one thing only. He prays for the help of him who dwells in his holy temple, whose throne is in heaven, whose eyes behold the helpless man, that he may rescue him from the traps that they have set. In reference to God, the interpretation goes this way. Even though adversaries are all ready for conflict and are lying in ambush like a lion in its den, hiding in secret places to slay the innocent and destroy the temple of God, nevertheless, the Lord dwells in his holy temple, and he is never without temple or throne, because for those that fall, others arise. Whereupon in the following verse it is written, The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. Wow, incredibly powerful commentary by St. Jerome on Psalm 11. I just love how he talks about the just one. The just one who trusts in the Lord who dwells in his holy temple to deliver him from the persecution from the traps the adversaries have set. The Lord never stops dwelling in his holy temple. And what we learn, as St. Jerome will say further in this commentary, and the Carmelite saints especially will corroborate or extend this truth, where is God's temple? The human soul. You are the temple where God dwells. You are God's heaven on earth. So we can feel very encouraged in reading this commentary by St. Jerome, very inspired to be resolute 
and following Christ all the way in and through the cross to resurrection. So may we follow the just man in not fearing the attack of adversaries because we have God for our helper, God who surveys the universe and does not permit his poor man to be deceived by their frauds or wounded by their darts. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments podcast where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness.